This is your host, Pete Moore, and I am pleased and humbled to announce the launch of my one and only book, Time to Win Again, 52 Takeaways from Playing and Watching Team Sports to Ensure Your Business Success. Those of you who know me personally and anyone who listens to Halo Talks for any length of time know that I am an avid sports fan and a big believer in the value of team sports. What I've seen over the past 25 years helping businesses grow, raising capital, being an entrepreneur myself, and coaching and mentoring executives in the sector, it's the lessons learned on the field perfectly apply to business. Entrepreneurs, executives, managers, you name it. Every company that's a strong company has got a good team. It's a quick read. There's awesome illustrations in there from our good friend, Mark, at Cruelty Free Cartoons. If you go to integritysq.com, enter your email address, and we will send you information on the book and the Entrepreneur's Survival Kit as well. Be great. Take names. Go Halo. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks, NYC, on location, Dallas, Texas, with a good and old friend of mine, Rich Steer, New Heights Capital. Welcome, finally, to a Halo Talks. Thank you, Pete. It's good to be here. Good to be in Dallas at URSA again. So you were one of the original investors in the health club industry, as I like to say. Um, so you were one of the first movers into what we now call the HVLP 2.0. Um, now you've got some orange theories and, and you've done some other interesting things in and around the halo sector. So why don't you just give your background first on the banking side and then turn it into a private equity guy. And then we'll talk about the industry and the sure. nuances of it. Yeah. So I, I started uh, in the industry as a M&A advisor, helping privately held companies raise capital or sell. And I was an industry generalist and did that for 10 years and went out to search for a business to buy and, and uh, invest in. And I had a group of investors who were former clients who I'd helped cash out of their business. So they had capital to invest. And uh, pretty quickly into that search and process, I was introduced to uh, a group of uh, entrepreneurs that happened to be the Fitness Edge and the Edge Fitness Clubs and went up, uh, went up to Connecticut and met them and you know, was really impressed by what they had built and their passion and talent for the industry. And so I was not a fitness expert or had experience in the industry before, but they absolutely had elements uh, of a good business and good partners. And so we were able to uh, you know, strike, a, strike a deal. We invested, we bought control of the company and the original founders who were brothers, Jim and Vince Sansone stayed on. And uh, we went through a period of time where that was in 2008, uh, where we had to kind of restructure the company and come up with what is today the Edge Fitness Club, the HVLP model. Mm -hmm. And that really started to take off and grow. And we began kind of the early uh, early elements of, of scaling that company. And, um, you know, we, we were partners for seven years and uh, New Heights sold that business and, and moved on and has stayed involved in the fitness industry. We've invested in Orange Theory Fitness at the franchisee level. Uh, we are investors in uh, Fresh Meal Plan which is a freshly prepared meal service that has been focused on, on gyms and the fitness sector and active lifestyle. Uh, we are co-investors in ABC uh, Fitness, uh, which is, a, is kind of the predominant billing company to gyms throughout the country. Uh, and um, we are, are now kind of early supporters and investors in, in Restore uh, Hyper Wellness, again, at oh, the okay. I didn't know franchise that. level. We got uh, 
franchisee or franchisor? Franchisee. Okay, we'll talk about that privately. Um, to working on something on that front. Um, so let, let's talk for a minute about, you know, rewind the clock. You go and you meet with the Sansone brothers. They've obviously got a nice mousetrap. They're, they're generating strong unit economics. What's your, you know, what, what, what did you provide to them that they couldn't do on their own as, as entrepreneurs? You know, the business was also at that time less mature, less sophisticated, less data-driven. Uh, and that was actually a kind of a good time, right fit for me coming in with um, financial skills, analytical skills, uh, and, and the ability to kind of um, crunch numbers and help them look at the business quantitatively. Mm-hmm. Um, so they bootstrapped that business. They started in the 80s as Gold's Gyms franchisees. Yep. Um, and so they're true gym guys. And so they were at an inflection point where they still wanted to move on with the industry, still wanted to lead in the industry, and they needed a partner who brought the skills that I had um, that could help their business and really take it from a collection of clubs and brands into an enterprise and help, help them manage that enterprise, not only financially, but from an organizational standpoint with, with people and disciplines and overall kind of just brand development. Yeah. So in a, in a lot of businesses, you see the entrepreneur kind of takes a business can grow it to a certain level. At some point, they look at their personal balance sheet and they say, all right, I'm on the hook for 10 leases. I'm on the hook for these 10 loans. Um, you know, the business is generating EBITDA and, and things are going well and there's money in the checking account. However, you know, there, there's an overhang and I, I probably can't really grow, you know, off of my own personal balance sheet anymore. So talk about, you know, your relationships with debt funds, you know, bringing in this institutional capital and how conversations with landlords and, and debt financing sources change when somebody like you gets involved? Absolutely. That that took place with, with Fitness Edge at the time. Those guys were personal guaranteed on leases. Um, they were, you know, in, in the midst of taking on Planet Fitness as mm-hmm. a major challenge in the industry and coming up with the Edge Fitness Clubs as a response to that where they could still lead and grow. And, you know, they had to think back and reflect upon their own partnership, their own personal balance sheets, and how much they would be willing to risk to continue to grow and take on bigger spaces, bigger leases. And so when we invested, yes, we brought in equity capital, but we also brought in a lending partner, and we were able to present the business at a holding company level. So where before, maybe landlords would have looked at them as partners in different gyms, they were now able to kind of see a holding company and release, in certain instances, those personal guarantees. And absolutely going forward, um, that afforded the company and them personally as kind of the leading executive of the businesses no longer to have to extend themselves personally on leases or, for that matter, any more than kind of their pro rata ownership to invest and grow in, in new locations. So I think that was a really significant um, milestone for them um, where we were able to gather, together kind of accomplish that goal. So, you know, and we've talked about this uh, on several podcasts before, but, you know, when private equity comes into a business, there's no one from the private equity firm that's signing a personal guarantee. Um, there's no debt that's recourse debt. And what I've used as an analogy is, you know, you and I are playing with a, uh, a chess or a checkers board, but I'm playing chess, or in this case, you're playing chess and me as an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm kind of playing checkers uh, on the same landscape because you can grow much faster than I can uh, because I'm not looking at what my personal liability is where you're setting up and saying, hey, it's a portfolio company and this portfolio company kind of has to stand on its own. That, that's correct. And then also, you know, from an equity standpoint, you know, we're bringing a group of 
investors, right, that are either our investors, our limited partners to the transaction. So that helps diversify the risk as well. And it also, you know, helps um, or at least it, it presents to landlords that there is a point with which you can't you can no longer kind of jump over the wall and ask people to personally sign. So the business has to stand by itself and the balance sheet has to stand by itself, mm-hmm. but it certainly helps when you've got a strong um, equity partner that's got experience in capital. Yeah. So how do you, when you take a look at whether it's, it's the edge or you look at other deals, a lot of entrepreneurs like to run their own business and they, they, that's why they started the business originally. So the question is, you know, when you come in and say, hey, look, I think this business is great. I think this entrepreneur is great, but I don't think they're ready to have a partner. You know, how, how do you think through that? Or like, what's your, how is like your, 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 your sense of like, hey, I get what they want to do, but I'm probably not the right person or I'm not the right firm to do that because I don't think they understand what the relationship is going to be going forward. How do you think about that? Yeah, I think one of the first um, ways to observe is that partner or is that operator ready for a partner is what have they done? in growing their business? Have they had to bring in, um, you know, outside talent and executives to the company that they've been able to basically elevate within, promote within, delegate, give responsibilities to? So it's not just 100% controlled by one partner or two partners that have started the business. Uh, Have they brought on any outside capital or any lenders at all, even if it's a local uh, bank that they've had to report to? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think also the other part is, what, what have they been doing from a reporting standpoint? Are they creating transparent financials? Maybe if it's not even shared in the, in the organization, but between themselves and their mm-hmm. accountants, is that a discipline that they're used to? And do they use financials and quantitative metrics to manage their business? Because for sure, you're going to need to be able to communicate that way to your outside financial partners and to your board and, and to the lenders as well. Got it. So, so assuming they have some of those or at least some tea leaves of that, that gives you a little more confidence that, hey, we're going to have meetings and it's going to be constructive and it's going to be quantitative, not, you know, qualitative, I guess. Yes. And, and again, that they've done things through the development of the, of the business and the growth where they've had to, you know, relate to outside parties and bring in some of those outside parties as inside partners. And again, right. that can just be employees or hired executives. Um, that shows that they uh, they can both lead and, and be a partner. Gotcha. So you've done minority deals, preferred deals. You've done structured equity deals. You've probably done some heads up common equity deals, but, but you're the majority control investor. Yes. And I've seen in a lot of transactions where the entrepreneur sells their business, they sell the majority control of the business, they get a liquidity event. And then the next day they show up for work, they think that they're basically renting capital. Uh, but they really have an employment agreement and, and they're wor- working for someone else. So how has that you know, evolved and how, how upfront are you about, hey, look, this is how this is going to play out over the next three to five years and just kind of set the table of here's like our rules of engagement. Yeah, I think, you know, if you went back to the early days in the, in the industry and where the, the sector was not as well covered from private equity firms, mm-hmm. then there, there was not necessarily the, the awareness from the operators or the entrepreneurs about what these partnerships would be like and how they would mm-hmm. work. And, and so they've heard stories, okay, you're selling your business and so you've lost control of your business and you are just really under an employment agreement. And, you know, the industry 
has changed so much, including overall private equity, where there are many more choices for entrepreneurs and operators, and they really kind of control the table about what they want for choices, both from a valuation as well as some of the qualitative factors. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, what I think from an entrepreneur's perspective, where that matches up to the investor is, again, it goes back to the, the leadership is, does that individual, even if they've, they've now going to be a minority shareholder, will they have the passion and the drive because they still view this as their baby and they view the financial partner as while being in control, really the operator is in control because the, um, at the board level, the financial partner, the private equity firm doesn't really want to step over and take, get involved in the day-to-day -day operations. So, you know, ideally, a private equity firm should be complementary and supportive from a strategy standpoint, as well as whether it's you know, on external M&A factors, doing acquisitions, um, helping set up incentive plans for employees, which probably didn't exist mm -hmm. um, in the company before. So, you know, I think that those are the, those are the good ways that a private equity partner can, can come in, um, buy control of the business and still have a highly motivated, engaged and ultimately deferential relationship mm -hmm. to the former control owner and, and most likely that control owner is the CEO of the business. Yeah. So, you know, as you've gone through, I use this term a lot, you know, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. You know, so you've got a lot of experience looking at different companies in different situations. Um, when, you, when you are, whether a majority control or a minority control in, you know, investor, how, how do you you know, how do you eloquently say like, look, I've seen this movie before. Let me kind of tell you where it's going to lead. And trust me that, you know, this is an analogy that, that we're about to enter into. Or like, you know, how, how do you kind of talk to entrepreneurs knowing that this is like their first time with private equity? And, you know, it's obviously personal to them. At the same time, like there's a playbook that you have. Yeah. And I, well, I think maybe starting with that playbook is uh, it, it's an imperfect playbook in the sense mm -hmm. that you, you, it's it's a guideline for how you want the relationship to work. It's a guideline for how you see the business performing over the next five to seven years, which is probably the timeline you're thinking about before you would want to sell the business. And mm -hmm. so that's an important part of, of investing is do you have a vision for when you can sell the sell the company? And you know, so a lot of this is is discussed and strategized and planned, but then you've got to kind of get into the partnership and, and stuff happens, like you said. Right. Um, so you have that experience. And so I, I think to guide a, an entrepreneur through who that partner could be, um, and you know, it, it does, I think, come down to some reference checks about what they've invested in before, what that experience was like, and when they faced tough times, mm -hmm. how did they work through that with their, with their partner? And then the second part, which is, um, it is important and is one of the harder things, uh, particularly at, at the kind of middle market or lower middle market stage, is you're, you are moving from privately held, tightly controlled decisions to now making decisions for partners that are outside the business, that are counting on information, but also have great influence at the board level mm -hmm. about how those decisions are, are made. And so I think that's a, a, a really big difference and, and can determine a successful or success or failure in, in a partnership and the growth of the of the business. And so, you know, from a operator or CEO who's partnering with private equity, their ability to 
drive the business and show to the board that they have command both over the organization as well as the you know financial performance and really some of the key KPIs, that communication um, and the efficiency of that on a regular basis to their partners is is critical to keeping that confidence. Yeah. So, you know, as you kind of touched on, you know, things are going to happen, you know, whether it's COVID, whether it's a financial crisis, uh, a client recently said, you know, how am I going to diligence these private equity groups that you're introducing me to? I'm like, just have to call three of their portfolio companies and see if they really were flexible capital or yeah. not when they stop getting their interest payments um, on the on these Unitronch debt deals. So, you know, how much do you protect your personal and your and your New Heights Capital brand? And how much does that you know, matter to, to getting other deals in the future. And, and the protection of that brand is in, in what? In terms of how, you, how you like, might defer returns on capital or restructure things? Or just, you know, basically um, making sure that you're very clear and transparent with the entrepreneur and the portfolio companies that you have and that knowing that those portfolio companies at some point is going to be a reference check for the next deal that you want to do. And, you know, what feedback do you want to have? Or maybe maybe it's better to ask you a question. You know, if somebody was to call a group that you've invested in and sold, what would they say about you? Yeah. Um, to answer so, that. Yeah, I think that's it's a, it's a good question. Obviously, we're, we're a small firm. We're industry-focused primarily on consumer uh, services, a lot of overlap in fitness and, and wellness. So that reputation is extremely important. You need to be able to have really good references to be to be invited into the next opportunity. So, you know, the way that we approach investments is trying to be uh, value add from it from an industry standpoint of having had experience growing from a privately held business to an institutionally ready uh, and scaled company that's now demonstrated success and has the, the metrics and, and uh, the financial reporting in place for kind of that next generation private equity firm. So we are, I guess you could say, kind of a roll up the sleeves partner that isn't necessarily just above and um, you know at the board level where everything just shows up in a package, right? It is, mm-hmm. you are helping that business, you're helping those partners come along the path to be able to, to accomplish some of the things that we talked about, talked about early on in terms of the transparent reporting, understanding the communication, um, and then also just setting up the organization with the right people to help that entrepreneur and help that operator have the bandwidth to not only work in the business, but work on the business at an enterprise level. Mm-hmm. So that's I think that's, you know, that's, that's our, our niche is, is in that stage. I want to take a minute and tell our audience about two awesome workout recovery products I've been using for the last 18 months from HigherDose.com, leader in infrared technology for athletes like all of us are. We're an investor in the company. That's not why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this because it works. You got an infrared hop in there. I'll listen to some podcasts, burn 800 calories, get a mad detox and a PEMF, which is a pulsed electromagnetic field crystal mat that I lay on and I recalibrate my cells to the normalized level of the earth. If you got somebody you like and you're looking for a pretty awesome gift, they will love it. You could use this code HALO 
75. Get $75 off and you will not be disappointed. Hiredose.com, promo code HALO75. And now let's get back to our regularly scheduled program. When you think back to, you know, take the edge or, or some of the other deals you've done, when you made that investment to see where the company is today, um, obviously there's a financial return and those returns have been very strong for, for your investors. But at the same time, you know, you basically built, helped build a chain that, you know, was in Connecticut. Now it's in four or five different markets. Got NEP as their, you know, institutional capital provider. There's probably hundreds of thousands of members at these locations that now have a place to work out. So how do you think intrinsically about, you know, look, you're, you're a finance guy and you're putting money to work and you're an asset manager and you're getting people returns, but at the same time, you know, working in the halo sector is, is giving you ancillary, you know, rewards because, you know, you could sit back and say, Hey, look what I've, look what I've helped build and like, look how many people it's affected. So how do you, how do you think about that when you kind of look at your career to date? I think, you know, personally, there's a, there's a lot of pride in, in first the partnership, you know, if you want to look at the Edge Fitness Clubs um, and helping them, you know, build that business in a way that they probably were not going to go pursue. It doesn't mean that they couldn't have done it, but they probably wouldn't have pursued it right. without having an outside partner come in and, you know, be at the table with them at that point, really day to day, talking about how are we going to build this business? How are we going to work through these challenges? how are others going to look at us from an investment standpoint down the road? Um, and so these, you know, those guys, Jim and Vin uh, and the rest of the team had great instincts for how to build the company and build the product. Um, but they absolutely needed help from the back end from a corporate uh, enterprise level. And so, you know, that is what I, what I brought to the table. And so I still have, uh, you, you know, a, a lot of, confidence in the in the brand and the business that they continue to be those partners continue to be involved in with NEP um, and and build out um, you know continue to build out even now through COVID and and beyond so there's definitely some pride and and having been a part of that and knowing that I, you know as a partner that the skills and experience that I brought to them are still relevant to other businesses today um, and we continue to you know kind of run that same playbook with different types of businesses to help them Built. So, you know, and I think we're fortunate to be uh, in, in the, the halo space because uh, you feel good about what you're doing, right? You are helping people help themselves. Yeah. So, you know, given what's happened on the uh, connected fitness side and some of these venture capital firms that have put boatloads of money in at, you know, multiples of revenue or just multiples of nothing, um, you know, to compete with the industry, you know, how do you stay disciplined in your, you know, quantitative approach to transactions and, you know, basically say, Hey, I love this company. I just don't love it at this valuation or, you know, this management team, they might take money at this value from this type of firm, but they kind of don't, you know, they're basically setting expectations that they might reconsider, you know, down the road because, you know, they're selling someone a business that is, um, is not going to really perform the way, you know, this hockey stick of projections work. So how do you stay disciplined and say, hey, look, I'm a growth equity investor. I'm an LBO. And as much as you tell me that the that valuation uh, methodologies have changed, like I've, done, I've been through three or four cycles myself and they kind of don't, <laughs> you know, so how do, how do you kind of stay disciplined and not 
get brainwashed that oh there's a new normal now is there is there ever a new normal or not oh i i absolutely think this is a a new normal which has been a long-term evolution in the sense of of the amount of capital that's covering the sector and so there's a scarcity of ideas concepts and companies mm-hmm. um and and so that's driven up valuations but um, you know, from from our perspective and my outlook, like just take the example of of ABC Fitness, um, you, you know, that was a company that traded uh, at a very high valuation, but it brought scale. Uh, it had right. tremendous market and it had EBITDA sh- market share. <laughs> yeah. it, it did have uh, you know EBITDA and a strong track record of of performance and and growth. And so for me, that's worth a, a marquee valuation and premium to get into an asset in a company that I knew well um, versus let's just talk about connected fitness where basically they are the beneficiaries of being on trend, having a lot of capital that's looking for places to go. And those investors are structuring their investment where they're not necessarily partners in this from a capital standpoint, they always come in with a preferred. And so there's a huge headline number from valuation um, and they're just taking a swing and they know they've got kind of the first first round of, of capital out of the business. So that's, yeah. that's in general um, a, a bit different than what we would like to a- approach where we are more um, engaged as, as partners with, um, with the groups that we're investing in. So just for a, a, an educational note for our listeners here, uh, when a Series A round gets done and then a Series B round, the Series B round has a liquidity preference over the Series A and the C and the D and the E. So there's basically a waterfall where the money goes back to the, to the last in, first out um, on the capital side. And in this environment of chasing deals and valuations and a fear of missing out, you might give someone a high valuation as a flyer, but at least know that you're somewhat hopefully protected um, you know, as, as, the, as the first money back you know, in, in a worst case scenario, who knows what that worst case scenario turns into or what the business is worth. But there seems to be a lot of follow on investments and a lot of sticker shock on, at least from my standpoint, on, on valuations that might not be supported by the, the actual company at this point. They're very frothy valuations and, frothy. Fr- and hard for us to, to justify um, given the way that we've invested and partnered in the past. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from a standpoint going forward here, you know, obviously in the blue states that, that you're looking at or that you're invested in, there's a different recovery curve than there is a, in, in red states. We've had investors call us up and say, don't show me anything in a blue state, you know, for at least six months. If you got some red state deals, I'll, I'll look to do that. Um, has that ever been um, in an, in, uh, an investment criteria? And do you think going forward, you're going to start to look at like, you know, what's the state political environment, you know, with whether it's in a halo company or whether it's in a retail business. Cause I never really calibrated that. We used to do like um, country risk back in the day, right? Like what's the volatility of Brazil and, right. you know, but not, you didn't say like, what's the volatility of like California versus like Texas or Florida. I feel like that's almost a financial risk return cap. What is it? Cap M model back in the day, capital asset pricing model. Right. There you go. Good one. How do you think about that? I, I do think that it's it's shifted to uh, a cultural consideration where before I, I think that folks looked at California, which we're invested in, and some people would resist investing there because of the assertive regulatory um, framework within the state and then mm-hmm. just the overall higher cost of, 
of labor. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the way we kind of think about it is the labor is higher in California, but California is, is its own ecosystem. And we're selling a consumer service to that local economy where the locals benefit sure. um, as, uh, you know, wage earners that have higher earnings and higher wages to be able to spend back into consumer services. Right. So I think, you know, that for us has not been a, been a risk. I think COVID has um, certainly demonstrated that, uh, you know, a more assertive um, government um, can get involved in your business in ways that you would not like. Um, so do I think it's a factor going forward? Yes. That being said, you know, there are certain states like California that are tremendous economies, um, have great appetite for, for fitness and wellness services and will be great investment opportunities. But it, is, it does take, I think, a higher level of execution and operating partners than you could expect in, in states that are going to be more, more lax. Yeah. So, um, you know, let's say somebody uh, said, hey, I'm looking at this deal in New York or California and this, you know, recovery trend that the bankers are telling me, you know, is on this diagonal trajectory back towards pre-COVID numbers. Yeah, it's just not happening yet. So what's kind of your crystal ball for, you know, when there's some kind of level of normalcy and do you kind of long term, I think over a five, 10 year period, obviously the, the sector is should be fine. Um, and, and benefit. Who knows what the comp- competitive you know, landscape is going to look like? But you know, how do you think about investing today if you had a deal, or say, you know what, I'd rather just wait three, six, nine months, and like, I don't want to have to underwrite that risk, uh, or I, I will underwrite it because I get a better deal. How, how do you think about that? I think today the the market is discounting um, because of COVID in, in in these sectors, particularly fitness. Uh, so that you can get a discount. I don't know if you're getting a deal because, again, there's plenty of money to go around that has covered the sector. They're familiar with the assets, and so mm-hmm. they are ready to invest. Um, and they are expecting, accordingly, a discount. But there are not, I would say, steep, steep deals. But, you know, the outlook, the way we think about it is we have to be prepared for kind of steady state mm-hmm. through through the winter here between 21 and 22. And then we expect... Um, you know, coming out of like, let's say winter or early spring to see a trajectory like we saw in, you know, February to July of 2021, where mm-hmm. the business will continue to recover and somewhere between, you know, 90 to 100% recovery. Yeah, um, And I think the leaders in these markets that have, have hung on and have had strong uh, operating disciplines and, and, you know, an important part of the recovery now is, is your human capital management, mm-hmm. taking care of your your leaders um, in, you know, whether it's the gym management, whether it's studio management, whether it's your regional management, um, it labors scarce like, like in everywhere else in the economy. So you need to be able to keep your team together. You need to keep them motivated. And that's a key differentiator in, in how you're going to recover yeah. uh, is keeping your team together and keeping them motivated. So, um, you know, I think that's not easy to do, especially for um, distracted uh, owners or, or, operators that haven't invested in, in their own infrastructure to support the, the growth of their business or the recovery of their business. And so the stronger will, I think, come out of this stronger or the strongest. And so, you know, we think we've invested in great teams and platforms that will, you know, make the difference between getting to 90% recovery to 100% plus. Yeah, yeah no. And I know so many assets, so I, I believe that you have invested in great managers that make good decisions. 
So in closing, you got any uh, quotes that you, uh, business quotes or things that come up in a board meeting where they're like, ah, oh, that's a, that's a steerism or. Um, you know, we, we, we would talk about this in the edge and I still, still use it as, as a famous uh, Mike Tyson quote, which is everybody has a plan until they get the, hitting the first punch, right? right and so right. that's what happens in life is you have yeah. a plan and you go in as partners and then you get hit. You get knocked down. And then how do you respond? Yeah. Uh, and how do you keep it together as partners? How do you keep it together for your business and get back on your feet and re-strategize, take a deep breath, um, not panic, and you know, plan as partners and then start to communicate that to the rest of the rest of the company of, of how you are going to you know, proceed and move forward. And in, in, any, in any business, you, you can have multiple plans and maybe one's the perfect one, but you're not likely to pick that, but several of them will work and it's just, it, the likelihood of success will depend upon you know, your alignment to execute together. Yeah, I've seen most success stories is when ownership and management are aligned, good things happen. Um, it's usually ownership that that sometimes crushes businesses, but the right private equity group or the right individual on a board to say, let's make the right decisions, let's not panic, um, and let's take a long-term view. And I think that that's kind of how life works, take a long-term view. And, and maybe just add one more thing, which yeah. um, because I have been involved in the industry and invested, particularly on kind of the brick and mortar, um, brick and mortar brands, um, whether they be independent or part of franchises, you know, it's, it's harder for financial investors sometimes when they're first getting involved to understand the intuition of the entrepreneurs in the sector about how they sell yeah. um, and they grow their businesses. And I think that's kind of an important learning point is it's really hard to bring someone in at a top level executive um, and just take over the company and say, oh, I saw what these guys built, but I don't like the way they do it. And it's a little bit hard to understand. Um, let's bring in our own team because they get it. They did it in this, you know, they did it for Pizza Hut and um, th they can do it here. But yeah. it's never actually worked that way. So yeah. um, you can bring in an executive to partner with the entrepreneurs that have built the business, but you have to respect the culture yep. and give them some leeway and bandwidth to, you know, both work within the requirements that you have as a financial investor with regards to information and data, but you've got to also flex your systems and requirements to allow them to have that, uh, to sustain that culture because it's a people right. business. And yeah. it's, it's really important. And that, that part is sometimes misunderstood by investors. Yeah. I think a lot of private equity firms want to institutionalize a business. And I think from what you've done and from what other people have done is you, you kind of have to be like an entrepreneurial financial partner and understand that you're backing an entrepreneur. You're not backing a, you know, this robust seasoned management team that has these, credentials, but they're street smart. They know how to make money and uh, you got to support them, but you also got to, you know, maybe put some guardrails up on the, uh, on the bowling alley, but you got to let them take, take big swings at the pins. That, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great analogy. I like that. Yeah. Um, great. So good to see you again in person. Great to see Let's you Let's look person. to some deals together and um, glad everything's working out and uh, you've been a great asset to the industry. So Keep staying in the halo sector. Don't don't venture out into anything too uh, too extreme. I, I won't. I enjoy this sector, and it's you know even through COVID, it's nice to see that there are emerging 
trends, whether it's been through you know digital connected fitness or now what we see more on the recovery side and fitness starting to incorporate some of those um, recovery aspects um, in, into their own business, but also standalone uh, recovery businesses yeah. thriving too. So. Agreed. Awesome. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Good Pete. to see you. Bye.